Welcome to the Pro Rata Podcast, a podcast that takes 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Filling in for Dan Primack, I'm Kim Hart. On today's show, the growing gender gap ahead of the midterms and Apple CEO Tim Cook doubles down on the dark side of technology. But first, we'll talk about how political campaigns across the country are increasingly using text messages to reach voters. Sure, campaigns are still putting big bucks into ads on TV and social media, but they found that flooding voters' cell phones with personalized text messages is a pretty effective way of engaging with them. That's because most of us use text messages on a daily basis. And since they're sent directly to our mobile phones, which we nearly always have with us, they're really hard for us to avoid. In fact, 90% of text messages are read within five minutes, and people are more likely to click a link sent in a text message than in an email. But a lot of voters are pretty annoyed that they're being inundated with political text messages that they didn't sign up for. Many have wondered, how is this even legal? In fact, political campaigns are operating in a gray area of the laws that restrict robocalls and robotexts to mobile phones. How? Campaign staff and volunteers are sending these text messages manually, one text message at a time, to individual voters. So, since they aren't using auto-dialer equipment, they can skirt the robocall rules. As a result, text messaging has become the breakout tool of this election cycle, and with the midterms less than two weeks away, voters in states with tight races are getting dozens of these text messages a day. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Doreen Christensen, a columnist with the South Florida Sun Sentinel. But first, this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique Smart Brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're now joined by Doreen Christensen from the Sun Sentinel in South Florida, where voters are being inundated with text messages from political candidates on both sides. So you've written a lot about how political candidates are using text messaging tools to engage with voters. How are everyday voters reacting to this? I imagine some feel that it's pretty invasive. Yeah, uh, you know, many of the voters that I talked to, we reported this story last week, and my colleague and I, the political reporter, Skylar Swisher, and we talked to a lot of voters who are super annoyed by this because these unsolicited messages are buzzing their phones. They come in like, hi, this is so-and-so, and like they know you, and you have no idea who these people are. They're urging you to vote for amendments. They're urging you to vote for different political candidates, and basically they're super personal and a lot of voters feel they're very presumptuous. Unlike robocalls sent by credit card companies or hotel chains, where consumers actually have to opt in to receive these messages, political organizations can send voters text messages even if they didn't sign up to receive them, as you said. Why is that? Basically, they found a loophole in the Telephone Consumer Protection Act that was passed in 1991 by Congress to protect consumers from unwanted nuisance emails and telephone calls and texts. The FCC sees telephone calls and text is one and the same. When I contacted the FCC to find out if these were in fact legal, because most people believe you have to have a double opt-in. You sign up through a short code and then it confirms yes, and then you start getting text alerts. The FCC declined to comment because there's a pending petition that's been filed by the P2P Alliance, which is a coalition of texting providers that are seeking clarification on the rules. I talked to a couple of uh, TCPA attorneys, and it's really a gray area. So they're saying because these are what is known as P2P text messages, which is person-to-person text messaging, this is just people talking to each other. So even though they're coming from a total stranger, they may be legal. So since they aren't using auto-dialer equipment or software and they're actually coming from a real person, that means that they can get around those other restrictions. 
Correct, but they are using some technology. They're using apps and computer programs to input the numbers and do different things. So they're sending and blasting out thousands of messages, which some experts I talk to in the industry say that violates the spirit of the law because, you know, you're blasting out thousands of text messages, and that seems very spammy. But they claim they're doing it to jumpstart conversations with voters, to raise funds and answer questions, to get people to come to political rallies. And they actually talk to the voters. So if you get a message like, hi, this is Sally. We're having a rally on Saturday for the governor. We're hoping you can come. You can actually say, oh, hey, Sally, where is the rally? And they will respond. And they're saying that's what differentiates these between messages that are sent for commercial purposes. So in this election cycle, Florida has a couple of races that the country is watching very closely. And that's one reason why Florida voters are seeing a flood of these text messages, maybe more so than other states. A couple of those races that are being watched, the race for the governor's mansion, as well as a tightly contested Senate seat. Polls have the candidates running pretty close, neck and neck. What do you think is going to make the difference in those races? And does it all come down to voter turnout at this point? Well, obviously, you know, get out the vote is a big thing in the midterm election here. Here in Broward County, which is decidedly Democratic, we also had the Parkland tragedy. That's caused a flood of activism and get out the vote. And a lot of the, the young people from March for Our Lives have been stumping and trying to get people out to vote. They went on a big bus tour this year through many states. And actually, these political text messages are really the breakout mode of communications, as we said in our story, of the 2018 elections. So this is being used in many states. And actually, it was first used by Bernie Sanders. So he's the one that started using these text messages in the 2016 presidential election. But it's really a cheap and effective way to reach voters because you can't unsee a text message that pops up on your cell phone. People see the messages. It may annoy them, but they go to the polls and they probably will remember that name. So how do people opt out of getting these text messages if they're really just sick of getting them? It's very simple. Four letters. S-T-O-P. Type it in all capitals and hit send. Some of the experts I talked to were saying, don't use a period, don't use an exclamation point, don't send a sentence like, why are you texting me? Stop is the main mode to get them to quit. These text messages are being sent in kind of a gray area of the law. And there is a petition that's been filed with the FCC to clarify what the standing is within that law. Is there any indication that the FCC or other authorities will try to rein this practice in? Or is it something that's here to stay? Some of the other experts I talked to said, like, this is really the Wild West right now. Kind of anything goes. The FCC obviously has the petition. There's been other petitions filed by Voter.org and the Republican National Committee. They're all seeking clarification on this rule because while auto dialers and the technology that the law mentions specifically isn't being used, again, experts are still saying it does violate the spirit of the law. And there are stiff penalties. The TCPA says if you violate this, you can receive damages of up to $500 for every single call or text message that is made in violation of the law. One of the TCPA lawyers I spoke to said there is no cap on the amount of damages here. So the area is very ripe for class action. This is the number two lawsuits in federal court. So there are lawyers making a lot of money off of this. If you send a thousand messages, that's a thousand times 500. You can imagine why they're concerned that they may be on the outside of the law here and they want clarification. Doreen Christensen, thank you so much for joining us today. My final two coming up next. 
Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to Get Smarter Faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. First, the 2018 midterms had the largest voting gender gap on record, with Democrats overwhelmingly winning women's support. Much attention has been paid to the record number of women candidates running for office this cycle. A majority of the women running for Congress are running as Democrats. There's no doubt that women have felt more empowered to put their name on the ballot since the Trump administration took the White House, thanks in part to the Me Too movement. But predictions of a women's tsunami in office are probably overblown. About half of Democratic women House candidates are running as challengers, so they likely don't have the name recognition or fundraising operations of incumbents. The bottom line? Even if many of the women running for office lose in next month's election, women are speaking up and getting involved. Importantly, women candidates get the attention of women voters. That has the potential to mobilize an incredibly powerful voting bloc in 2020. Finally, Apple CEO Tim Cook says tech's dark side is real. In a speech in Brussels, Cook called for comprehensive privacy regulations in the U.S. that, among other things, would require companies to anonymize consumer data and let consumers delete data collected about them. Of course, this puts Apple at odds with fellow tech giants Google and Facebook, which make healthy profits off the collection of personal data. What's next? How seriously lawmakers look at privacy legislation depends on the outcome of the midterms. Democrats have signals that they'd make privacy policy a priority if they manage to win the House in November. Even if that happens, though, future rules aren't likely to live up to Cook's expectations. And timing is paramount. Lawmakers know they're on the clock. California passed a very strong privacy law that goes into effect in 2020, unless it's preempted by new federal legislation. And we're done. My thanks to producers Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers. As Dan would say, have a great National Food Day. I'll be back tomorrow with another Parada podcast.